All right, technical issues have been solved. The intro countdown is going, and we are now live. Uh, we are here with Ryan Robichaux. Did I say that right? Yeah, yeah, you got it, Robichaux. Yeah. Hell yeah. I, th- I mean, <laughs> I feel like I could get that one. Uh, and we're going to be here talking a little bit about Kiowas, um, particularly about Ryan's brand new book that just released about two weeks, two and a half weeks ago, Scouts Out, which is a, a memoir of his experiences as a scout helicopter pilot in Afghanistan, both in the Bagram area and also in 2013 in Kandahar, which is obviously why he is on the Fanjoy podcast. So, Ryan, thanks for joining us. It's a privilege to have you on here. It's been a, a little long time coming, so I'm glad we're finally able to, to get it going. Yeah, absolutely, man. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you got a chance to come on and chat. So I guess the first question is, did you, you flew over Panthway, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you can tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, um, so basically the, the whole operation, the whole security zone, you know, that was kind of known as being where we're going to operate a lot, I would mm-hmm. say. <laughs> so uh, I, I do remember on my first, you know, a couple of flights out there, uh, ripping out with the the previous dudes. And they were just like, you know, Hey, that over there, that's Spurwingar. Like you're going to get familiar with that mound yeah, over it's there. It's a very notable terrain feature. Yeah. You know, and I was like, that's like a fake mountain compared to the other mountains. Okay. I can't really miss that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more, more like a mound. Yeah. 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 It was a big anthill with maybe like a tank on top. I, I do remember there was, like, there was an artillery piece or a tank or something up there one day. I was like, oh, okay. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I think they, uh, when you were there, they had this thing called the MGS, which was a, uh, it's basically a main gun mounted on top of a striker and the freaking striker and armor dudes are like in love with that thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They had, they had it parked up there. They thought it was going to change the war and I'm pretty sure they fired it about a handful of times. It wasn't very good. I I remember ever seeing it go off. (laughs) No, it's, I mean, it's a line of sight weapon. You know, why would, why would they use that when they have you? (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, before we get too far down the rabbit hole, we wanted to cover a couple housekeeping items. If you're paying attention to the Scouts Out social media page or the Panjoy Podcast website or social media page, you'll notice we're running a brand new promotion in conjunction with Scouts Out to get some uh, get some books sold. So starting today, if you go to the link in the bio or in the description or the link in our bio on Instagram or on the website, you go to the uh, Scout How Scouts Out. Uh, official website and their publishing house you can order a signed hard copy of scouts out and it's going to come with the sweet brand new kandahar spring break koozie that we're just launching oh i got mine over here as well (laughs) (laughs) the uh the, the scouts out uh hard copy signed spring break kandahar koozie custom sticker that we designed just for ryan and his book and uh you can get the information on all those on the website and social media you get if you use the, the code PANJWAYPOD, when you place that order, you get 5% off and you'll get all those sweet goodies. Uh, so go ahead and hop on that and get that. It basically is like getting an $8 book when you factor in the cost of the, the koozies and the stickers and all that kind of fun stuff. So okay, there's absolutely no reason not to do it. Buy a koozie, get an $8 book. So we're, uh, we're going to be running that throughout here in conjunction with that. Also, uh, if you really like the koozie, uh, and you want another one in addition to the one you bought with the book, we do have some blue the, uh, blue koozies with the same design available for our website right now for $10. So that being said, Ryan, we usually start these things by asking a little bit of background about you. Hey, by the way, nice shirt, Luke. 
Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming out for this for the cause today. Yeah, but I would not have worn it. Oh damn it! Now we're twinning, <laughs> twinning a little too hard. Yeah. Um. So sorry, I got sidetracked there. Uh, the way we always start these things is we ask our guests to talk talk to uh, us a little bit about themselves, why they chose to join the army, how you ended up becoming a Kiowa pilot. Uh, obviously, you go into this in quite a bit of well, not. Not a whole lot of detail, but you tell that story in the book, so you don't need to go too far over the edge. Just kind of give us like the short elevator pitch of, uh, you know, of you and how you came to be here. Cool, absolutely. Um, well, first of all, that koozie is rad. Like, I'm super excited just to have one myself. <laughs> it's really cool. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, yeah, yeah, I grew up in uh, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, my father had originally been an infant, or he'd been a uh, Marine Corps A6 intruder pilot. My brother had been in the infantry and all that. So. Uh, you know, I was kind of called to do it. I just, I really grew up around, you know, military stuff and run around the woods with sticks like their guns, you know, and just kind of always wanted to do it. But it was really, you know, 9-11, I was a high school senior, you know, watching all that go down. I was, man, I'm, I'm going to have to go active duty. Like I have to. So um, when I was in college, joined up in the guard, became a medic, um, finished out my college time while my brother was over there. Um, you know, kind of reporting back what's going on and uh, I'd read, you know, news to him and all that because he was in Baghdad in early, you know, 2004. So they didn't really have good intel gathering. So I'd get a call from an Iraqi cell phone. You know, I'd like run to the student center, get on the computer, try and tell them stuff. So I was, I was in the guard at that point, but then I was, yeah, I need to continue this. Like I need to actually, you know, be doing this more than just on the weekends. So, uh, so whenever I learned more about the warrant officer flight program, it just sounded great. Uh, you know, I went through that, uh, the interview process was, was pretty crazy. There was a, there was a lot of people trying to go through at that time. It was a very saturated environment, but they took me, they tried to make me a Lieutenant. I was not okay with that. Uh, so, so uh, luckily I, luckily I would fought back on that one. So yeah, I ended up in uh, 317 CAV, uh, went over to Savannah, and we deployed maybe a year. I don't even think I was in Savannah a year before I deployed. So kind of all the train-ups was still just getting my feet wet with the bird after flight school, uh, being at Fort Rucker close to two years. They had the big bubble. And uh, when I was when I showed up in country, I mean, I was pretty green. You know, I, I did not have much flight time in that thing. And they were just like, you're, you're going to have to learn quick. Mm-hmm. So... What year was this? There we launched. That I'm sorry. That was uh, that was late 2009. So okay. yeah, it was late. Two, it was a, it was that full you know year deployment time frame. So it was uh, you know 2009 uh, to pretty late in 2010. I think I got home like a couple of days before Thanksgiving 2010. So okay. So you're the ass end of your Iraq deployment overlapped with the with the front end of mine. Yeah. So, that that Iraq. was Afghanistan, not Iraq. Oh, I never went to Iraq. Iraq. Yeah. My oh, brother okay. my brother had ended up in Iraq, but yeah, I was in uh I was out of Bagram at that time. We okay. had made a uh we'd made a Fox troop which hadn't stood up since like Vietnam. Uh but they needed a contingent of Kiowas and Apaches on Bagram. Um, for all the activity around there in that in that Bagram Bowl, so uh, they kind of farmed from all the different units across 317 and and one three attack for the Apaches, and we we kind of functioned. It was interesting because we were a we were a very small contingent mm-hmm. as part of a combat aviation brigade on the south side of the field, and uh, 
you know, run by a Blackhawk unit who just didn't know what to do with us. <laughs> so it was, it funny. Was I was that. run by a Blackhawk unit when I was in Kandahar. It was a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just did not quite understand uh, what, what we were really all about. I mean, that's what it felt like anyway. And it, it was kind of evidenced uh, as we went along. I was like, well, surely this will get better. Like they'll, you know, we'll, we'll mesh. And like 11 months later, I'm like, holy shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so was, uh, was the things pretty spicy during that deployment for you? It was really weird. I would say it had ups and downs, truthfully. Uh, you know, we had, we had periods where we're just flying around the bowl and, you know, enemies hibernating. There, there just would not be much. And then you get down into the Tagab Valley, um, which was to the east uh, this nice little, you know, long valley under French control and, uh, down in there. Yeah. It could get, it could get dicey in a hurry. And it was, it was beautiful scenic flying. You could just get caught in the moment. Like, wow, you know, snow covered mountains. It's really beautiful. Holy shit. The French are under attack. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Interesting. So you get back from that deployment, then you start gearing up. How many, so how many uh, deployments did you have in total? I just had two. Uh, I had that that first one. We were home roughly two years, and then we ended up back in, uh, you know, going back over to Kandahar. Um, so that was in late 2012, um, well into 2013. It was like nine, I don't know, plus or minus two weeks or so, nine months. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure, like, I remember this very distinctly when we were in uh, Manus, and we were we are finally on our way to hop on our plane out of Manus to head home. And we're walking down this sidewalk out of the tents towards the flight line. And it's just this fucking huge line of third ID officers, pilots, and warrant officers. <laughs> and I just walked like this for like like two minutes straight uh, because that's all it was. Because you guys were, you, I think we pretty much flew. We probably flew out on the plane that you guys flew into Manus, right? So I, think, I think we uh that was probably, probably our first literally interaction. Passed each other. Yeah. Probably yeah. literally passed each other. Yeah. This would have been uh early December 2012. It was so cold, dude. It was, that was awesome. <laughs> God. We were, was, like, we were we were relishing in it. Yeah. It's like a, like I, I think I wrote that in the book. It was like it's like an Arctic expedition site, like where our tents were it's just yeah. like freezing snow everywhere. Yeah. Well, on our way out, they let us do like the whole two beers thing. Uh, which, you know, obviously we got like the nine and a half percent, you know, Balkan number nine. <laughs> and like, so that was enough to get a couple of dudes going. And like, you, we were like walking around a tent and I see these dudes are like throwing trash cans at each other. And they're like <laughs> trying to like see how far they can slide on the ice. I'm like, oh my God, someone is going to die in Manus. <laughs> third, third ID was so ridiculous. Like they're just, thou shall not have any booze until you're back in Savannah. Like just uh, never, they we never third ID, third ID. Oh, well then yeah. I guess our part of third ID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think because we'd had, uh, had such a rough go at it. They, they took mer- and because it was a battalion sized deployment. So I think that played into it too. Yeah. So it was battalion commander had the authority to make that decision. It was didn't have to go any higher than that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's one of the only things he actually did for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, you know, talk us through after we, you know, after Curtis very sarcastically saluted you in line at the, <laughs> on your way from the C-17. Talk us through, you know, how you ended up in Kandahar and Panjway. Yeah. So uh, after that, you know, kind of um, 
migrated over there. Uh, pretty much from the time we hit Kandahar, I was like, this is going to be a definitely a different deployment sure. than Bagram was. Um, you know, Bagram, we had a lot more, I'd say more freedom to maneuver again, because of the aforementioned, you know, they didn't really know what to do with us. So we could kind of tell them like, Hey, um, if there's no deliberate missions today, we're going to go out and look for work. And there was kind of a standing thing. You're going to fly two bags of gas, which was essentially, you know, four, four and a half hours or so uh, within a 12 hour period, but we're running QRF. So, you know, always quick reaction force or deliberate missions. It was, it was a lot more of that. And Panjway was really weird. Um, the, the ROE I think had gotten very strict. Mm -hmm. uh, the risk aversion had gotten very strict and we actually had, I believe just way too many pilots on our list. Um, there's a lot of staff aviators that we had to have flying with us as well. So, you know, we had a lot of junior pilots that we were trying to get up and trying to get them seasoned. And it was, it was just incredibly difficult uh, because we just had so many more dudes. Uh, and, on that. and let's just, I want to take a second and explain what you just said. Cause to a lot of people that aren't aviation, it, it might go past them. This, the whole staff aviator thing. Um, the aviation company is just like, like an infantry company, everything else. You have like your normal guys, like your infantrymen, your team leaders, your sergeants, your platoon sergeants, everything like that. Aviation company is not all that different. It's just a lot smaller. It's mostly warrant officers. Um, but what you have is because everyone at the battalion level, like your S3 officers, S2 officers, most of those are also pilots, but they're not in a company. They still have to fly. They have to meet minimums. Like they're still rated aviators. So what ends up happening is the, the companies have to support them flying. So whereas they're not actually in like a maneuver company, they still like the like it's kind of like guest appearances. They'll like come in and be like, hey, I'm here to make sure I meet my minimums and say I actually did something on this deployment. And so they come in. And like you said, if you're a junior guy and you have way too many pilots and there's only so many shifts that the maintenance can support these guys coming in. Like if there's 20 of them trying to maintain their minimums, like, you're like dude, my job is to fly and you're taking all my shit. Yeah, because um, there's, there's 20 or 30 of them. Um, mm. I can imagine that being incredibly frustrating. Super frustrating, especially because they suck. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but when you when you're when you're a staff pilot and you only fly once a week, you yeah. fucking suck. You're a lot. You like there's some really good ones, or uh, some really good ones that might have just come off the line, or are just certified badasses, which they do exist. But like for the most part, when they're just out there, they're basically just like tourists, and it's kind mm. of annoying. Yeah, so. I could see that. Yeah, I remember, I yeah, I remember, uh, you know, we, the, the infamous, the risk assessment worksheet before we'd oh, fly. Yeah. And it just got more and more complex during my time in the army. So basically, I, maybe it didn't change. Maybe I just imagine it did because it, maybe I just got so sick of it. But I mean, it just had so many blocks before you could go fly. It, it was like a lawyer was just hanging out with you all day before you flew and mm. you got to go see this guy and did you check this and oh how's the weather and and do you have a staff aviator with you oh how experienced is he well that's going to be a higher number of risk so it just this thing would just continually be after you i don't know where i'm going with that just staff <laughs> aviators got me like thinking about that. I was like man that risk <laughs> assessment worksheet god yeah <laughs> <laughs> well and, that, and that's another you know another aspect of the whole aviation deployment that um you know everything we do is very 
meticulously at least thought of. I won't say it's meticulously planned because that's just not true. <laughs> no. But you know, before an aircraft <laughs> comes off the ground, uh, you're you're doing you have you have the crew brief. You have to make sure that you do your risk assessment. You're even even if you're in Afghanistan, you're still filing a flight plan. You know, it's it's not a real thing, but you're still doing it because it's just part of your routine, yeah. um, or a flight strip, or however however they did it then. Right. Um, it's not like you know and. That kind of stuff was happening behind the scenes for us in the infantry. You know, you know, the platoon leader was filling out like a trip um, roll-up of the number of people that were going on the mission. He was submitting a risk assessment for every mission. It was just one guy doing it for all 40 of us. Right. Whereas when you're flying, every single person is participating in that process, and there's a lot of visibility on it. And you and you got to chase people down for, I mean, because the, the riskier it is, right. then you got to get these higher-level signatures. So, I mean, and, and it was very when it became super detrimental to my mind is when there really honestly is a lot going on. Like you guys are out on some big ass op, like we're trying to rotate, we got things going on. And, but then, you know, Joe just got sick. Well, shit. Well, now we need to actually go back. We can't just throw him in the seat and go, we got to go find maybe a new signature authority to put Joe in his seat. So it just, that it was, I think in, I felt like in Kandahar, there was more than that. And again, I, could be my recollection, but I don't think it was. I just don't recall us having that that level of ass pain in in the first deployment as we did in the second deployment. Mm-hmm. I mean, that could also relate to where you guys lived in relation to where you worked, right? Because I mean, oh yeah, the Kandahar flight line is on the complete other side of the airfield from yeah. where you guys lived. Right. Um, now, when I was in Kandahar, it was different. We were very, we were on the airfield essentially, so it wasn't as big a deal to go find. The, that battalion commander for, uh, right. for, a, for a medium, uh, moderate risk mission, um, or you know, to find the company commander because he was always there. You know, it was either he was at his bees or he was there, um, and the battalion was right there. And, you, and if you did have to wake somebody up, you could just walk across the street and grab them. Yeah, um, that definitely was not the case for you guys, right? Because you live. Right. Where did you guys live? On we here? were we were in the little ROBs, like even way away from the poop pond. Like we were so far, uh, I'm the little, uh, yeah, the little chews or whatever. So, um, yeah. it was, um, it was a pretty good drive and we had a busted up series of couple little vans that we'd have to like rotate pilots out to keep, you know, any kind of transportation. Cause it was just on us. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we had this just like busted van trying to get everybody to the flight line. <laughs> <laughs> but you kept all your gear at the flight flight line, right? Yeah, we had we had like yeah. a little shack out there, you know, across across that nice big field of ankle snapping rocks where all the Apaches and everybody was parked. But yeah, ours was ours was way on the on the backside. So at least your gear was out there. It was just it could become kind of a chore. You know, you really had to plan like, okay, if I have to launch at you know whatever at eight AM or whatever it may be, like you gotta really sort out how you're going to get there, make the briefings, make all this stuff. And mm. that, that was, that was definitely a challenge, I would say. And you guys weren't even allowed to be on the real airfield. They had, they had you like stuck on what they called Mustang ramp, which was like this yeah. like mini base just North of the airfield. Yep. Cause I'm, I'm assuming the air force was like, helicopters will not. Yeah. Oh, our they could, nah, they could land in the rocks <laughs> over there. They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. despite the uh, invigorating details of army aviation risk mitigation, let's yes, uh, <laughs> <laughs> look, it's an important part to understand. Yeah. The second part of uh, Ryan's book. Uh, you know, a lot of those things were actually getting in the way of helping people. Yeah. And I think that's where I was trying to go with it. Yeah. It's just, you know, it was the, the whole Panjway fight. It, 
I, I had heard these things before going there. You know, I, I distinctly remember, you know, the, the calls before we went in and, and they're just like, I'll never forget the quote. It's just, it's fucking game time out here, boys. I'm like, okay, it's game time. We're going, it's going to be game time. You know, but then when we went, I was like, ah, there's so many problems for us to go through before we can get to game time. So I think that's why I was trying to cover yeah. some of that. Cause that was, they, they were legitimate hurdles before we could really get out there and, and mm-hmm. try to mix it up. Yeah. So uh, when you guys got boots on the ground and after you got your paperwork lined up or whatever, like yeah. when when, uh, when did you start flying and like what was your what do they call it aviation AOR? Yeah, you, so you basically you go out and um, as as our instructor pilots would link up with their guys, get get the local area orientation as we call the LAO done, and you start passing it on for everybody in the troop. So you start going mixing in crews with the dudes leaving. So it was pretty quick after we got there. You know, we had the same we had the same dance of all the classes and things to get you up to speed on the area. But um, but after that, you know, it was it was okay. You know, we'll, we'll, we're moving out of clip here, and it's a huge AO. I mean, there was a lot to learn. I, I definitely remember there was a lot more to that map to try and memorize and learn your way around, and that was another part that was difficult for us having not the recency of experience because you know I was I was not flying near as much as I had been in the previous AO. So it was a little harder to like put together on a map, like this route, this cop, this fob is here. Cause I wasn't seeing it as often mm-hmm. and that, that was kind of its own, you know, difficulty sometimes. Yeah. I mean, I could imagine, yeah, they just kind of getting dropped in, especially when you, when you're going in with this game time preparation. So, yeah. uh, I mean, when, uh, I mean, after you, how soon after you got there, did shit start getting real? I mean, was it pretty quick? Yeah, it was, it was still, I would say it was still ongoing. I mean, we just kind of high-fived right in, um, yeah. you know, my, when it was my first or second flight, honestly, like, oh, okay, you know, here we got, we got something going on down here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, it was, it was certainly uh, right in the beginning. Um, I got in a nice high-speed motorcycle chase, you know, with the dudes uh, who had just been lighting some people up near Spurwingar. Um, I tried to knock them off their bike with a smoke grenade and we're chasing them around. And, uh, you know, later on in the same mission, I, you know, I was like, that's not right over there. Kind of the patterns of life were starting to come back, you know, yep, that dude, I think he's in placing an IED and, you know, later on Pred kills dude with, you know, hellfire. Hey, I found him. You know, so it was, it was pretty, it was pretty quick after we got in there. I was like, oh, okay. You know, it is game time when we can actually get out here. It's just the you know when when we are actually ourselves authorized to engage was the problem right you know? i mean do you think that uh, a part of that i mean this might be detailed out in your book sorry i didn't read it sorry bro no worries. <laughs> no worries. Uh, but um is it you know do you think that that's because of the, the nature of the assemblage of your unit because with all these officers and everything or is it just was it just the woes at the time. I mean, this was a time, even over the course of our deployment, except for when Abrams came in for a little bit, it was like we could feel that ROE getting really tight, even though we were still getting in the shit out there every day. Yeah, I would I would imagine that really any unit that was there at that time, because it was just coming from a higher level, it just, you know, even in the in the nine and a half months, nine months that I was there, you know, there were definitely fobs that were once there and no longer were. You know, they were just mm-hmm. becoming bulldozed dust pits. Yeah. 
And, um, and I think that was actually, if I remember correctly, down in like the further uh, southwest corner of the Horn, I remember a couple had shut down, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that, that, uh, that tightening of the ROE and later on, you know, not to, not to go too far into the book, because I kind of talk about that, but basically as the deployment goes on, you can kind of see those restrictions start to tighten the noose around us to to that just almost inept point where we where we it didn't matter how who a super army you were you're just kind of like what are we doing now you know i i want to go help these guys i want to do what i'm trained to do and a lot of guys had lots of previous deployments mm-hmm. you know and, and hey we got we got something going on over here but yeah not mm. sorry can't can't respond <laughs> so uh i mean uh, you know, I definitely don't want to spoil anything for your book, but do you yeah. have a, like a, a couple of memories, you know, that really stick out in, the, in specifically, uh, specifically in regard to Panjway or Sperwingar? Uh, I remember, I remember definitely down near Sperwingar. Um, we were, we were flying around out there. We've been out there for a little while and we, we started, we were hearing about a tick on the ground. So of course, you know, troops in contact, you kind of drop everything, go for the tick, go just see what's up. Uh, I was actually functioning on a pink team at that time. So I had an Apache, uh, which is just the enemy's worst nightmare. I absolutely love pink teams. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we're like, well, we plan to go down here and mix it up a little bit more. At least we're just going to start getting shot at and figure out where this is coming from. Like that's our plan. So, so we go down, we start juking around. Sure enough, I start hearing the taps. I start hearing some fire. Yep. They're down here. Ground guys are in comms with us. They, they have an idea roughly where it's coming from. So we just started zigzagging around the area, trying to isolate this. And we finally were trying to talk the Apache onto this compound and because all the clots look roughly similar, I, pro- I, I imagine from the ground, it's just absolutely horrible. Mm. Uh, but, uh, but we were trying to talk the Apache on, trying to talk him on. So finally, I was like, I'm just going to drop a smoke grenade right in the courtyard. <laughs> like, but that means you're going to fly over the courtyard. I like, yeah, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, we, so we were just like hauling ass in there. And sure enough, you know, we got so good at throwing smokes, luckily. And, yeah. you know, we had no doors on. So I just kind of leaned out and just hucked the smoke grenade. And it was like one of the best throws I've ever done. And <laughs> it landed right in the middle of this courtyard. And the fire stops, yellow smoke's billowing out of this courtyard. And ground guys are like, oh, well, I guess uh, I guess that's that. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> now the Apache's up there just like, ooh, yeah, what's in here? And mm. I, think, I think they figured out real quick, like, oh, yeah, we, we're going to have to disappear now, which yeah. they were insanely good at. I mean, I got to give them you know, credit, oh, they, yeah. they could melt back into the population like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we, on the ground, we rarely saw them, you know, I mean, yeah. it was, it, you were lucky to catch muzzle, uh, muzzle blast from, you know, where they laid a PKM on a wall or something. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, that's interesting. And, you know, that's speaks to the, to what the army's missing out on by retiring to Kiowa, man. You can't chuck smoke grenades out the door of a fucking Apache. <laughs> I mean, I guess you could, but it might not be a great idea. I, I've seen it done, but it's a little bit of a process. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you sure as hell can't chuck water and, and dip and MREs and that was like that was one of my favorite yeah. things. Yeah, that was that was probably I mean, you know, going back to flight school, that's it was the whole mantra of, you know, don't get the shiny airframe since like syndrome, pick the pick the mission. Yes. It doesn't really matter what you want to fly. Honestly, it's what do you want to do? And just talking to my brother and, and 
you know, I'll admit fully, like going into flight school, I didn't know crap about the Kiowa. It was actually at Fort Rucker that I really even started to learn about what it was, what it was all about, you know, having some chats over, over the phone, you know, with people who had been supported by them before I was like, holy crap, like this, this thing, I mean, I've even been in the army for several years and I don't know shit about this aircraft. It, and, and that's when it dawned on me. I was like, this thing is only known to those who are directly supported by one, like usually right. in combat roles, because mm-hmm. there's so many people that I know that are retired army. And they'll be like, what'd you do? Like I flew the Kyle what the hell's that? Yeah. <laughs> Obviously yeah. we had a different time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's Are you a, saying I you, mean, you didn't uh, pick it because you, it was the only aircraft that didn't require you. you to complete. Yeah, yeah I can you. hear you. Yeah, we got you. Oh, that was me. <laughs> uh, yeah, plug yourself. <laughs> <Shit>. <laughs> so I'm saying you, you didn't pick the Kiowa because it was the only aircraft that didn't require you to learn how to fly a second aircraft. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and for context there, you learn essentially on the Kiowa in flight school. So if you pick the Kiowa after you learned on the Kiowa, it's kind of like cheating. <laughs> we still had the um what was it the little we still had the th 67s bws so i never actually flew oh, wow. that for chuck yeah okay mm-hmm. all right yeah so yeah we we flew th 67s and then um the alpha chucks in bws so hmm. i can say that at for a very short period of time i too was a kiowa pilot <laughs> <laughs> well, i think uh i mean one of the things like yeah I, I like that you point that out and you know, that's the unique aspect of the Kiowa is the connection with the ground guys. It's just like and the ground guys love it, you know, and I, I like that you picked up on that. And that was kind of your motivation to pick the mission instead of the airframe. I like that. I hope you put that sentence in your book. <laughs> Absolutely. I think. I, I think <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's cool. I mean, um, you know, I had a, I had a following thought, but I've lost it. So move on. That's good. So you you mentioned that yeah you got you're flying a pink team on that on that last story yeah. you talked about was that was that your your guys preferred uh, teaming on that deployment and, and who were your Apaches were they also with third ID yeah we had we kind of had a smattering I remember actually we had UAE guys that uh, we were rotating missions with as well which was kind of odd hmm. UAE guys flying Apaches in Afghanistan yeah I had wow. no, what yeah. Wow, that's that's legitimately very surprising to me. I know they've been involved in Afghanistan, but they've always kind of chosen to have a very low profile. Yeah. I, but the fact that there were a bunch of UAE pilots out there smoking Taliban, and now they're currently supporting the Taliban government, <laughs> mind blown. Boom. <laughs> unless, unless I'm having the most senior moment, and I just assign that in my brain. No, I remember that because wow. I do, I do remember supporting them in the Alsi shop too. We had UAE pilots coming in, you know, to get gear. And mm. and all that kind of good stuff, and like, oh, where are you guys from? You know, oh, that's interesting. That's uh, fascinating. That is, yeah. How do you team with a UAE pilot? I mean, like, it just like wh- how do the rules? I work was lucky that? enough not to have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never did. Uh, I I know it was happening, and it could have been like a you know, it could have been just a very like small time that we even did it, but mm. huh. So no, I mean I've teamed with or not teamed with worked pin parallel to Italian attack pilots. Yeah. And like the rules were very clear. It's like, hey, you don't fucking talk to them. You can't you, they cannot engage. They had they had a completely different set of ROE. We couldn't receive like a talk on from them. They couldn't receive a talk on from us. It was like, hey, yeah. they exist and they're over here, but we can't do anything with them. Yeah. And that was-, was like a modern first world, you know, European NATO ally. That's yeah, I'm. I'm just. I'm trying to locate the exact uh, the exact point where I kind of talk about that. 
And uh, yeah, I can't you know, miss that in the book. It was uh, February. Uh, yeah. And we, we had begun flying joint missions with the United Arab Emirates, who also had Apache station at CAF. There it is. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I must have just like blown past that paragraph. Yeah. Like, hmm. Insane. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was kind of, and in fact, in this particular instance, that's why I, I think I talked about it because it was supposed to be uh, a scout weapons team unless the UAE pilots showed up. And mm -hmm. we were basically in the security briefing, like if UAE pilots show up for an Apache flight, then one of your Kiowakers is out and they're in. Not <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprised when you submitted your book for DOD approval, they didn't make you take that one out. It seems like. Uh, my friend Didi was just like, they didn't read it. She, they just kept it. For There's no months. way. <laughs> 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 that, was, that was her charge the whole time. I was like, hey, it finally cleared. And I like sent a screenshot. I'm proud of my little memo. And that was like the first thing she said. She was like, they didn't read it. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and for context there, when I guess anybody who's ever been in the military, if you write a book about your time, you're supposed to actually, you are required mm. to submit your manuscript for DOD approval for release. Yeah. And it's a, it's a just slam your head into the table, six month process for me, you know, and that's also while Afghanistan was just falling apart. And I was just yeah. sitting here like, I'm talking about this shit, like for years, <laughs> you know, it's right here. <laughs> get, get and uh, for full disclaimer for our fans, when Luke and I finish our book, we are not going to do that. No. Good on you. Good <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah. We won't be giving away any that, details man. on, you know, yeah. how to fly aircraft. So, uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. We're, yeah. yeah. I didn't no. even have an active security clearance when I was in Afghanistan in 2012. <laughs> so. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that, yeah, we, we probably saw shit or got exposed to something we definitely weren't supposed to be seeing. Sure. Technically speaking. Oh, yeah. We're not going to be like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about that. I know better than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got some common sense. <laughs> and like, you know, I, I, I was almost, I was almost a little too paranoid early on. Uh, when I started really writing this. So, you know, and, and even in the journals and notes that I kept at the time, just to not run afoul of them, I figured I wasn't writing this entirely for the military community. My goal was to really, I wanted like a soldier's neighbor to be able to read it. I didn't want it to just be army acronyms and, yeah. you know, general so-and-so and the whatever ID of who, people just get lost in that, you know. They do. And, and I just, it, that's, I think, part of the reason why it actually took me so long, not only was I taking these journals and notes and trying to transpose them from, you know, present to past tense and, and trying to like weave it all together into a story, but it was also to pull a lot of that jargon out and actually translate as if it was another freaking language yeah. because, you know, we just, we speak army. <laughs> not only that, you speak aviation, which is right. just a whole different ball of wax. Yeah, too. yeah, it's just it's just too. Yeah, it's like a dialect of a dead language already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and and that's one thing you know in in reading your book, extremely easy to read from that viewpoint. Uh, now, granted, I'm not exactly that the target audience for that aspect because I've been on the ground and I've been a pilot, so I understand. Obviously, there's nothing you could have written in there that I wouldn't have understood, but it was extremely easy for the layman to understand. There were there was not a technical term in there that wasn't immediately explained. 
in fact, I can't even remember all that many technical terms that were even mentioned at all. I think you mentioned. I, I tried. I tried right? very. Yeah, yeah, I tried really hard to just say armored vehicle. You know, because again, right. it just right. it didn't matter to to your average reader that it was an a Cougar or an MRAP or an MATV or or a Striker. Right. It just I think it would have muddled the point that I was trying to make in many of those cases. So it I used them for sure. It's like, oh, wait, I thought you were talking about why, strikers. Yeah, why are we selling? Why yeah. are we talking about a tank? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, um, so what what kind of prompted you to start the book? I mean, is this something that you had ambitions for early on, or was it something you just kind of I, together later later down the road? I didn't want to do it at all. So I, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I didn't, I did not want to do this. Uh, so it all started out. I was writing journals for family when I was in the Bagram deployment. So rather than deal with, you know, even Facebook was evil and around then. So I, I just didn't, I didn't want to be putting stuff on social media, but I didn't want to be sending out emails either. So I was like, how can I do this? So I made, what was essentially a password protected blog. And that was my notes and my journals that I was just keeping like very, very small group of family and friends. Sure. And I was only doing that. And it was my grandmother who had been a reporter before she had worked on Capitol Hill. She had interviewed all these people and, and she started badgering me later on in that deployment. Like the things you're seeing and the pictures you're showing and, and all these things you're explaining these guys don't know, like the media is not saying yeah. anything about it. Nobody knows that this is happening in the manner in which you're reporting it. You know, people know right. we're there, but that's about it. Um, and so she's like, well, when you get home, you know, have you ever thought about writing a book? I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like two years went by, I go again, I set up the same thing. So now I'm in Kandahar, you know, I'm still saying, and it's getting worse. And I'm, and I'm writing all this stuff down and, you know, the tightening of the ROE and, and I'm watching these ground guys getting lit up. And it's so frustrating because I can't do what I need to do about it. So she's still coming after me. Just, you got to do something that you got to do something, you know, and then she finally wore me down. and was like, when you get home, I'll help you. We'll put it all together. We'll create a book. Hmm. So I said, okay, fine. I'll do it. I promise I'll do it. She passed away like less than a month later. So she had a stroke while I was over there. I didn't even get a Red Cross message. It was kind of like I found out in just the worst way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So my roommate, though, had heard me. And so one day he's over there and he's like, you know, you have to write a book now, right? I was like, fuck. Yeah, I guess I guess I do. (laughs) So so I started compiling it all. And that's, I mean, literally since I got out, you know, it's freaking seven years that I've just, okay, you know, I said I'd do it. So I got all my notes. I got everything together. And I was like, well, yeah people need to know she's right you know sure, then yeah. you know what's going on so and, so that's really i i, I kind of had the same realization today as i was scheduling out some of our posts for the next week you know and this is not a knock to journalists at all i mean i have a lot of respect for people especially conflict journalists that risk their lives and their well-being to go and report on these things but then like there are millions of pictures and stories and videos from people in all the NATO forces, America, Canada, that were on the ground. And they're, it's, it's, they weren't even being deliberate journalists. They're just taking pictures as they're going around. Mm-hmm. But it's probably the most comprehensive documentation of a war oh, ever yeah. in history. Absolutely. And yeah. it's just stuck on a whole bunch of people's old hard drives and cell phones. And it's just yeah. mind-blowing to me 
that you know the media like a, a reporter would die to have that kind of volume of information about any topic period right. and most guys it's just sitting on their old 2012 laptop and they never yeah. even bother to bring it back up and it's incredible that there are people like yourself that are taking the steps like hey i want to take this information and arrange it in such a way that it's going to have a meaningful um representation of my experience going forward uh, yeah, and it, it was challenging too because I have what I know and what the pictures I have, but reaching out to others, trying to get maybe some of their stories or some of their pictures, it was extremely limited, not really from their unwillingness to help, but just like you said, they're like, oh, dude, that hard drive crashed like three years ago. Right. Yeah. Like, or, or you that's lost, old camera. I lost everything. That. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, wait, like, Everything you had's gone. Yeah, you know, just a couple of years ago, I just I shit the bed. Like, so what's gonna happen in like uh, <laughs> like ten years? Everybody's gonna like have upload their stuff online, and then you know Google's just gonna start leaking war crimes. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's another thing too. I mean, not on the American thing. soldiers' behalf. I should. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, there's how many pictures have people taken that after things like, Oh man, it's probably not something I should have taken a picture of, mm-hmm. you know, and then they're scared to keep it and they just discard the whole hard drive or they delete it. It's like, Hey man, like that's, that's history. Now, obviously, right. unless you're like actually documenting a war crime. Okay. That's, that's one big, that's one thing. But if it's just a picture of a dead body, you know, what's the story behind that guy? How did, how did that situation come to be? Just cause it's a picture of something morbid doesn't mean it's not something worth retaining and, and considering Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it's not like something that like you're putting in your closet and like tying a, a noose around your neck and, you know, doing right. your thing to like, you know, right. <laughs> like it doesn't, yeah. need to, doesn't need to be yeah. weird, but you know, th- this is that there's a story behind that picture. And, that, um, and that's why, you know, I talked about when Bagram got attacked in 2010 and the Apaches just waylaid these dudes, but they were wearing our uniforms. They were coming across the wire and, and you know, and, but we were, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the one doing the battle damage assessment from this, you know, so we're going out there early in the morning. There's just dead dudes everywhere, you know, wearing ACUs, have RPGs and all kinds of crazy shit. Hmm. And, and, but I was like, I can't take pictures of this on my own stuff because I'm afraid of the right. ramifications of that. Mm-hmm. And, but now that you say that, you know, you see like footage from Vietnam and Korea and World War II and anything before, and, you know, dead dudes laying around everywhere. Yeah, what but they had just, yeah. they had obviously successfully scared me into not doing it. So right. I, mm. you know. Oh, they tried I mean, the same thing with us too, with like the GoPros. Yeah, GoPros. You know, because yeah. first half of our deployment, everybody was wearing a GoPro. Um, yeah. And honestly, the best way to make sure you didn't get into a firefight was to wear a GoPro. Because if it th- if that thing was recording, like just nothing happening. <laughs> uh, no but, action know, here. No action here. Yeah. But then you know, a couple Marines pee on a dead body in Helmand, and now suddenly it's a big deal. Um, which obviously that is a big deal. Right. But you know, I, I don't know. I, I never understood that, and I honestly never paid attention to it. And I made up for it on my second deployment. Um, and I made sure that every time I flew, I had a DSLR with me or I had some sort of pocket camera. I mean, I wore a GoPro like, man, I made up for my failures on my first deployment on the second yeah. one. I mean, honestly, sure. man, like it's, it's cool that you, that you had the wherewithal to, and being a little bit older and things like that helps. But 
or not being just completely burnt out like I was. <laughs> but then we went to Afghanistan. I was like, "Fuck this! Fuck everything! Fuck it all! I don't <laughs> care. I just want to. I just want to get out and be done." But uh, that's one of my biggest regrets is just not documenting more closely, even just carrying like an iPhone on deployment and having pictures. Um, I would. Yeah. I would be totally lying if I was. If I was jaded. I was. I mean, because and it was. And again, it was just that I didn't like the direction we were going, and so I mean, there was. But I don't believe. I was unique in that at all. I mean, I, I was not drinking that army Kool-Aid anymore, but not many people in our troop were, mm-hmm. you know, so it was, it was more of that classic. You guys are out there. We just got to support you. Like we, we are pissed at what's happening with us, but I'm not going to let that detract me from what's going on. If I'm out here, I'm supporting those ground guys and I'll, I'll be pissed off later. I got something to do right now. Sure. And so we just loved our ground guys so much that that was, that's like the only thing that did keep us from a freaking noose in the closet. Cause it was just, I have a job to, I have to go help these dudes. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think uh, that's in the kind of, you know, circle back around to the Kai was like, that's just a connection that the ground guys and the Kai was have, you know, it's mm-hmm. just there. And even like we love Apaches too, but because you can different. look up and, and see that dude's face, yeah, you know that right there just makes all the world a difference, and you know I'm it has to leave like lasting impressions. And I could imagine go out and you're flying around, and you look down, and you see some kid's face, you know, yeah. after after a really thick and bushy firefight, yeah. and you go back. I could I could see why well, like you want chom- you're chomping at the bit to get back out there, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah it, it was just it was so emotionally engaging you know because when when we would go low on fuel which was often you know it's oh, it's yeah. just when shit goes down you know it, it can last a while or and and then a lot of times bad guys are like we'll just wait yeah. mm-hmm. we'll outlast them <laughs> so, so you know and sure enough oh, yeah we gotta go back to Passab. we gotta get gas we'll be right back you know and sure enough you're monitoring the freak and right when you leave son of a bitch you yep, know yep. and trying to do like a nascar you know turn like a pit crew come on we gotta go we gotta go you know, so and, and we and, had to we had to get good at just playing that game. You yeah. know, and it, it probably took us a couple months to figure it out. I was like, hey, if we get it, lose coverage at some point, we need to make sure that when we lose coverage, we're in a building or we're behind cover or something like that. And then while you guys are gone, we just stay. Ten yeah. minutes, you know, man. Don't just ten minutes. All we all do is it was stick, like clockwork. Stay. Yep. It's like yeah. as soon as as soon as the sound of those birds was out of there. 10 minutes to the dot they'd be yeah. out there shooting again <laughs> it yeah. was remarkable how quick how quick they how you know quick and, that's, and that's why we you know in a lot of cases you know if it wasn't going quick enough for us in that far i mean we would like the left seat would jump out and they'd be helping you know i'd be running yeah. over there loading freaking rockets or 50 mm-hmm. i wasn't gassing because i wasn't good at it <laughs> but they, <laughs> they had you know they they had that down sure, you know yeah. but but basically, if you're talking about doing armament, yeah, you know, give me that rocket. You know, let's go. We got to go. Yeah. So. I mean, I imagine your 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 fuel t- your fuel and FARP terms are pretty pretty quick in the Kiowa, unless you have to load the fifty, right? They were they were still pretty quick. I mean, because yeah. because you know, there's there's about a hundred rounds in those fifty cal cans. I mean, they're just running out there. They're just linking those belts, and it it was quick. It, okay. it could be nice. real quick. The the whole. The whole thing with the Kyle, I was actually talking to a really good buddy who had been an Apache pilot with me on the first on the first run, and he was he was actually talking about how the army because he's still in, and he was like, you know, the army's missing out on on such a rapidly deployable asset because he just oh, yeah. recalled he was like, when you guys would have a tick, 
you were just in the fucking air so fast, you know, right. and that's it was because we just had the ability to be, it just, you could start the thing, you could be in it, strapping in and in the air. I mean, minutes, it was, it was really like that. Yeah. It didn't mm-hmm. take as long to start up. And I think it's maybe because it had super old technology and just didn't have, you know, much to do. But, yeah. but you could get bogged down in the setup. And that was kind of one of the things we also had to, you know, get out of the, the training mindset and like, what is important to do right now? And it was, what can we do? There, in there, Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's something going on. You just need a grid, a freak and a call sign. Just mm-hmm. get me there. That's all I need. I will set everything else up from there, but we just got to get there and we, we can do it all the rest in route. Well, that's another really important aspect about Army aviation that I think is really unique is, you know, if it's, a, if it's an Air Force asset, man, it's a full nine line. It is very documented. It's like you, ha- you have to give me all five pieces of information for me to even come to the objective. But talking to Army pilots is very different. Yeah, I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, I mean we, we do have a checklist for those things for certain scenarios, like if you're striking a deliberate target and there's not troops under fire, stuff like that. Right. But people are getting shot at. You know, I think a lot, a lot of younger RTOs or, or, or junior uh, um, FOs don't know that all they have to do is just, be like, hey man, we're we're being fucked up from the north, right? Like, hey man, plane English, I, yeah, I that damn J fire. I mean, so <laughs> and it was it was a lot harder, uh, you know, with the French because you had the language barrier, and then they would try yeah. and use some of that stuff. And I I think we finally had a had that heart to heart eventually where it was just like tell me where you are tell me where he is you know mm-hmm. give it give me the basics plain english you know I, I tried really hard to just whether i was talking to a frenchman or any other foreign forces or even the u.s i just i found it when you started trying to just use so much tactical jargon and and, and trying to make it proper it just it, it was unnecessary it, we didn't have time it, yeah. we have to just get things going yeah, and that I mean that was one of the reasons why we love the Kawa so much because it wasn't, it wasn't calling in a JDAM, you know, it wasn't even calling in a Hellfire. It was, right. it was a hey, you know, where the blue smoke is, hey dude, shoot the two hundred three with the blue smoke into the tree line. It's over there, and then the fifties would come in, or the rockets or whatever, and do some work. Right. So it, we felt that rapidity on the ground too, like the Kiowas could act as quickly as we could in terms of suppressing the enemy or, you know, destroying an enemy fighting position or whatever. So, yeah. And a lot of times you could see them and we could, you know, I could, I can count on my fingers. And every time I saw an enemy fighter shooting in my, at me on that deployment on one hand, Mm -hmm. you know, like it's, they, they were like freaking ghosts, but Mm -hmm. to you, you could fly. I mean, you have, you have an aerial perspective. You can see beyond cover that we can't see. You can see down canals that we don't have visibility on. I mean, I know you saw tons of enemy. I was a, I was a huge fan of of our alternate assets. I guess you could say. I mean, we had the big ball on top. You know, you yeah. can use that site. I mean, it's it's old. It's uh, it has a lot of limitations. Uh, it could be effective, especially in thermal or at night or something like that. But I mean, just straight up, yeah. <laughs> but just straight up, like I need to look at something right now. Uh, you a digital camera or binoculars oh, yeah. Yeah. and. And the whole digital camera thing, it just wasn't taught. It, you know, I, that was another frustration point. I wish, I wish that aerial photography, you know, instead of like, okay, we have another sexual harassment PowerPoint to go through. Here goes half our day on, you know, just PowerPoint of, of dumb shit. Why can't we learn to use these freaking cameras? And why can't we talk about 
not only can you use this digital camera to take a picture, you can zoom in real quick and you got a snapshot in time. You know exactly what that dude's holding. You, you know, it only takes him a second or two to put it away. But right. if you got it on that camera, you have evidence right now and right. you got a second to really go, okay, holy shit, yep, he's got the he's got the gray hat on. He's at the tan vet, you know, because he couldn't see that with the MMS, mm-hmm. with that mass right. sight. You it didn't have colors. <laughs> so it's like right. you know, and, and that was and that's where we had gotten with those rules of engagement. You know, they, they want to know freaking everything. You gotta you gotta brief it all. So as much information as you could gather. So I I was one of the very few that really, really loved the binoculars, but it made a lot of people sick. I don't know why. I I didn't really get airsick from it, but especially the image stabilized because the, the aircraft's juking around and it kind of just gets this weird ocean yeah. feel to it. And it was just enough for some people to be like, absolutely not. I can't. I just can't. <laughs> I, I'd be with that. There's no way. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, it did. It did not bother me, but there was, there was a solid, solid group that was like, that, that's just not for me. I can't yeah. do those things. <laughs> so it's funny. funny you mentioned the, the digital camera. Um, because that's something that I ended up doing on in 2017 because of talking to Kyle pilots from our deployment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it came into play a, a bunch of times, you know, we're yeah. trying to develop target packages and for all, and they're like, Hey, there's, we want to bomb, you know, there's, we think there's a enemy fighting position in the mountains. I was like, well, here's pictures of it. Here's stop. Here's rocks lined up. You know, it's right. not thermal image from our tads, which is way better than MMS, but still it's thermal. It's just, right. you, know, you don't get a lot out of it. But when I showed them a digital picture of it, uh, they're like, holy shit, that's a fighting position. I was like, that's what yeah. I told you. Can yeah. you please blow it up now? <laughs> yeah, I know. I just, I, and that was my, I just, I wish more time, you know, hindsight, but I just wish more time and effort would have been trained because yes, we would do photo reconnaissance and it was okay. You know, here's, here's some strategies. Here's, you know, but it wasn't as, as super formal in my mind, in my recollection, as, as it could have been, you, mm-hmm. you know, you really could have taken a junior aviator out there and just been like, this is how to do it. This is what we found works. But instead it's just, it was kind of this whole hit or miss thing. Mm-hmm. That, uh, I mean, that, and that, that kind of speaks to the original purpose of the Kiowa too, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was actually, you mentioned earlier about how people didn't know what the Kiowa was, but I have a very distinct memory in, in my in my head as a kid watching like the History Channel or something. And they have like, this, the Kiowa has the ability to, you know, scout out when there's this little rise and here comes the ball. <laughs> Taking a little peek and then dropping it down again. Yeah. And uh, so that's what I thought the Kiowa was until I got to Afghanistan and it was fucking shit up. I was like, this thing's amazing. <laughs> Well, that's what it was supposed to be. Yeah, you know exactly. that was that was the whole idea. You know, when they brought out the Apache in the in the uh, in the seventies, it was like this is going to be a compliment to the Kiowa. Kiowa is going to find them. The Apache is going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I mean, the pink teams had happened in Vietnam, <clears> but they were trying to think more doctrinally. Like a team of Kiowas is going to find something, and a team of Apaches is going to blow something up. Yeah. Um, but then, just out of necessity, there's like, well, if they're already there, why not put guns on them? You know, like <laughs> yeah. just turn turn it into a light gun trip. <laughs> Um, which ironically is probably what led to its demise. You know, they, they put the guns and stuff on it. It acted like a light attack aircraft. And then when the army was trying to get rid of something and, and they're like, well, we, well, well, all they are is just a light attack aircraft. We got Apaches. What do we need those for? 
Well, we can and, spend a few billion dollars more and develop some other crazy shit that we never actually bought. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? Comanche. Yeah, <laughs> Comanche. And then the AR8, I mean, it was actually, I, I don't even know what iteration of, of trying to replace the Kiowa we're in, but it's, mm-hmm. I mean, you a talk about one, The promising one now. Yeah. The, 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 the future vertical lift and the, what's an, oh, a, a wrap or whatever it is now. I think we're basically going to get a version of the Comanche back. back <laughs> right. Really. Um, and That's it funny. looks really good. I think I think it's going to work out because they've they've kind of changed their under budget and ahead of schedule for government acquisition. Well, that's that's I a know. plus. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> what? I didn't even. Yeah. I didn't, when you said that, I was just like, oh, he's being funny. No, I'm, <laughs> under budget and yeah, dead serious. Under budget and ahead of schedule. Uh, mm-hmm. And basically, what they did is they basically just made the private sector develop it. They stopped because right. I mean, th- th- in the past, like a man, she's a great example. They're like the army just keeps changing the requirements and adding new shit to it. And like, Oh, well, what if they can do this? Or what if they can do that? And this time they're like, Hey, build something for us. And we're going to tell you whether we like it or not. Hmm. And that's, and it's working out right now. Who knows? I'm sure somebody will find right. ways to screw it somebody up. Will fuck it up. Some general will fuck it up. <laughs> I mean, have you, have you ever seen the Pentagon Wars? I was just thinking of that. I was, I literally was just thinking that when you said that, I was like, that sounds like the Bradley fighting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That scene when they like they go through all the different iterations and the general's like, well, why can't I just blow up a tank? You know, yeah. you just see these epic, just scenes of this thing and this beautiful battle. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what yeah. happened to the, the newer, like they were about to replace the Kiowa. And they it was on track, and they just like, well, we need it to be able to fly 30 minutes, about 14,500 feet, and it needs to be able to be double engine. And they just kept adding the stuff, and like all the companies were like, we can't make that, man. Like, that right. was, Star like, Wars, like, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, does, it doesn't freaking exist. Yeah. And, and eventually they'd like, well, well, we'll just get rid of the Kiowa. I was like, what? How is that? How's that plan B? <laughs> and, that, and that was the, that was the most ironic thing to me when we, when we learned that, because I'm like, well, surely if we're trying to save money, there's, we've got to be the cheapest one to operate. I mean, yeah. we've got an incredible operational readiness rate. This thing is not hard to keep in the air. Yeah. I mean, 50 caliber ammunition as compared to the Apache shells and everything else yeah, probably isn't that. Yeah. Like I was just, I was thinking through it. I was like, even our gas print, like there's no way, there's no way that this is your cost savings measure. Uh, it was never about cost savings. It was about yeah. icing. I'm convinced it was about icing bell out. That's mm. my conspiracy theory. I think they just didn't. I think that Be- Bell had way too much influence on the whole process, yeah. and they're having trouble like exerting control over Bell and their logistics chain, and they just wanted to ice them out. That's my that's my conspiracy theory. <laughs> I haven't heard that one, but sure. All right, <laughs> Ryan's like, yeah, you're fucking crazy guy. because <laughs> they didn't just get rid of the the Kiowa; they got rid of the TH sixty seven too. Yeah, no, so really, it was the whole thing. Anything there, Bell does not currently have an aircraft flying with the United States Army. Mm. Interesting. What senator had some pool over at uh, Lockheed? I, th- I thought it had. Well, we were we were lied to and told it was just because it's single engine. Then <laughs> that was their line. <laughs> but it was a reliable engine, I will say. You know, yeah, and you know what? Good engine. Yeah, you get you get. I mean, you teach people how to do an auto rotation. You know, you know that's just mm-hmm. it's one of the safest things. Like, I mean, obviously, a single engine aircraft has a degree of terrifying fear to it. You're like, if an engine fails, I'm at 50 feet right now. I'm dead. I die. 
But guess what? If you're flying in Afghanistan at 7,000 feet above sea level and you lose an engine, you're going to have the same exact result. <laughs> Whether you're in a dual engine or single engine aircraft, it's the same. One of the, uh, that's one of the craziest auto rotations for people who don't know what that is. That's basically just a simulation of your engine not working anymore and you just start falling out of the sky. And, uh, but I did it under MVGs at night and that was a trip. That was pretty, that was pretty awesome. I mean, luckily it was just training, you know, we're near the airfield, but it was, it was kind of like, Hey, you want to do an auto rotation under night vision goggles? It was like, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. And it was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, you have no depth perception really under night vision goggles. So it's, it's, it's kind of just added like, Oh, okay. You know, well, varsity level maneuver here. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in the factory, we do, we do it under nods or not or not it's under under the nvs which has even less depth perception you're just if yeah, you're playing playing a video game yeah talk about terrifying jeez but you know they don't even teach auto rotations like to the ground anymore because the army has that rule that says that dual engine aircraft will not do an auto to the ground oh wow so the wow. everyone that's learning on the the lakota now in flight school no autos to the ground they don't know how to do it Ooh, isn't that well, crazy that is crazy <laughs> It, I yeah. did not know that <laughs> power on recoveries only. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, I believe it was just an extreme loss to, to lose that asset. Uh, you know, not just because I flew it, but just how many talks I've had <clears throat> with ground guys and just with hearing your stories and, and, you know, just some of the guys have shaken my hand that, that have been out there. There's just this, there's just this man moment, you know, you're just like, wow, you know, I just, I'm so happy I supported you and they're just so happy I supported them. I just, I think like that link was lost uh, just by getting rid of that airframe and not replacing it with anything solid. I mean, you have the Apache running the scout mission and you're, they're doing it in concert with UAVs, which sounded good on paper, you know, it's like, oh, well the UAV can see really well and the Apache's got bigger guns and like this should work. But I just, you know, I don't think that, I don't think that the infantry and, and people who had the combat experience like y'all have were even asked along, you know, well, what do you guys think? Well, why would you say that this is a bad idea? Like you didn't have a warrant officer in the room when that happened. <laughs> like, well, let me tell you why this is dumb, you know? No, I mean, in like many army decisions, I, I think it was a decision that was made for some other priority other than obviously how well we can wage a war or what platforms are effective. It was just a, it's a, it's a, it was a dark moment for, for the army. Indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, ben strong has a, has a question in the chat. He said, did you ever shoot rockets in the 58 Delta under NVGs? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, and it's cool. <laughs> they, they, they glow a lot. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, MVG uh, rocket shooting. You know, we our weapon system didn't articulate like the Apache, so we didn't have. They were hard mounted, and uh, so that was that was in itself kind of difficult. My dog is like losing her mind. Go lay That's down. Okay. Jesus. <laughs> um, so it it was you know it could be difficult enough to make a shot you know with with our weapon systems. Some people used a grease pencil. Um, you know, you get in, you go ahead and do your, um, you go out, just check your weapon system, every single mission you go out. Okay. Does the gun work? Does the rocket pod work? You know, you're, you're going to shoot every single time just to do a test fire. And 
you would actually, if you were so inclined, you could take a grease pencil and put a little cross or a little circle or whatever where they were landing for you that day in that aircraft where your ass was and where you sat. Mm-hmm. So, but you couldn't really do that under MVGs. You wouldn't see that grease pencil mark. I never really took very well to the grease pencil because I wasn't originally trained with it. Like our first troop really never used it. So it was kind of like one of those things that came in later, like, oh, you should use a grease pencil. But for that reason, with MVGs too, it's like, well, that's only going to be good in some cases. And I've just never really used it. So I don't know. <laughs> I never really went that far to try and implement it. Mm-hmm. So how did you, how does one go about shooting <laughs> rockets and MVGs or just shooting a Kiowa at night anyways? It's, I think, I think I basically have said where it's like using the force. You just get so, you just know <laughs> you get in that bird, you've shot it that day. Yeah. So you know, okay, roughly on the windscreen, this is where I saw the impacts Yeah, and you get good enough at shooting. Eventually, you know, it's going to be in this general area. And on that day in this aircraft with me, it was hitting yeah right here yeah and so that's and we had some people i mean they really they were they were just rocket jedis like i don't know how they shot some of the shots they did mm-hmm. you know impressive <laughs> because i mean at some point like rockets will do whatever rockets do like ivy like it amazes me that people like can like oh yeah i can hit a moving truck you know with a grease pencil like i don't know how you do that because i've seen the rockets will be like yeah man and then just <laughs> go off like 90 <laughs> degrees and do its own thing. I'm like, I, I guess a fin broke off. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I tell you, the real shame is that they divested the Kiowa before the APKWS came out, which was the gu- the, the guided rockets. I recently rockets. heard someone was talking about those and I was like, you have what now? <laughs> I, didn't really, I didn't really keep up with that. But like, yeah, bro, you should see these. And like, well, yeah, <laughs> like way Free to be late with awesome changer. munitions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> game changer. Yeah. The, the yeah. only thing that would have hurt the Kiowa employing APK to us is they do this weird thing. And sorry, I'm going to bore Luke, but I don't really care. <laughs> um, so when they when they come out the aircraft, you know, like normal rockets, they have a pretty straight trajectory, and Hellfires have their climb and then dive. Right. Right. But these go like they dive first and then they flatten out and they have a really flat trajectory into the target so if wow. you're already at a low altitude it's not very good because it's just going to plow into a tree or a farm or something right <laughs> it's just another just diving firing and was, that's you, you the had majority to, had to do you a know, diving fire with it, i mean yeah. that's really that was really our thing you know it's it's going to be a diving fire engagement you know <laughs> we're, we're diving in and uh it's it we always had to, you know, be careful with that too. Cause you know, you're, you're going in and you're shooting and you're doing whatever, and you got to kind of be cognizant of that, that altitude and that airspeed and, and all of that. Um, so, but yeah, yeah it, was, it was, it was difficult with them being just hard mounted, you know, until you really got the hang of it, of, of where those rounds were going to go. Hmm. And uh, Shane, Shane Blanton said, stop talking about his rocket shots. I'm assuming that's somebody he flew with. He's a good dude. I like Shane. <laughs> <laughs> You're good at rocket shots, Shane. <laughs> yeah, he was he was in my walk class as well as originally in Bravo Troop with me. And yeah, he's he's a good dude. Nice. So as we're approaching the end, um, and you know, You've gone through this entire process. You have written a book. It is out. Where where can where can your book be found? Where can it be purchased? In addition to obviously 
um, the special deal that we do have ongoing where if you go to your personal website, but if somebody does want a hard copy, hard copy or they don't really care about getting all the goodies, where can they get your book? Yeah, so if you actually go to www.scoutsoutbook.com, I have links now on there that basically have it right there front and center, like right on the homepage. There is a special button that says, here's where you're going to go for a signed hardcover book that you can enter this coupon and you're going to get the goods. If you want it, um, you know, right now, Amazon style, uh, absolutely. Amazon's there. If you're, you know, a Kindle reader, you can have it in the next five minutes. Uh, same with Apple books. Uh, it's on there as well. I know I have it on Barnes and Noble. Interestingly enough, I Googled it out of random boredom the other day and it's at Target. Didn't know that. Uh, (laughs) I just found that out. Uh, So yeah, so it's, it's kind of cropping up everywhere. Um, But uh, I would say the main, the main things would be, you know, Amazon, Apple books, Barnes and Noble. Um, So that's what I'm tracking. And what would you say was the most, I'm sorry, go ahead, Luke. I said digging the Hemingway quote at the bottom there. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a spoiler alert. It's on the bookmarks that I, that I give away as well with the book. It's, it's actually uh, there's, there's a bit of a theme of that, um, as you can imagine, going through the book, since that was kind of our thing. You know, we were yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, nice. Now, what would you say was the, the greatest challenge you had in terms of the writing process, other than waiting for the DOD to approve it for six months? <laughs> it's, it's a lonely process. And I would also say that because it's, it's not a war that's front and center in the psyche of, of everybody, you know, you're... In, in something like this, it was constantly going back and forth between being in Afghanistan in my mind and, re, you know, reliving an event and writing it and trying to, you know, be in that moment and get it all down. And, and, and all of a sudden it's just like, honey, can you take out the trash? Like, you know, and so, you know, so it's just like different, you know, that that was actually one of the challenges I hadn't anticipated of, you know, you have your normal everyday civilian post army life, but then you're having to snap your mind back and forth between deployment and home and deployment and home. And mm-hmm. that I think that was probably one of my larger challenges, aside from really having no real like mentorship or help. You know, I had buddies from, from my troops, like they would answer questions. They would help me. Uh, my friend, total shout out, you know, Didi Murawski. She was awesome. She's kind of mentioned in the book. She's got a journal entry in there. Jay Amarillo. There's, there's a bunch of people who helped, uh, but you know, it was a smaller circle, Nick Payne, you know, Eric Newhouse, um, Pete Higgs, they, all these guys were, were there to help, but I had to have the question to pose to them. Otherwise, they're just going about their lives. And so and, and that was kind of the it's a very isolated feeling where you're just kind of, OK, I'm just I'm, I'm deployed again. Everybody else is home. I'm deployed mm-hmm. in my mind again. And then, boom, OK, here we go. So I, mean, uh, I know Eric Newhouse. He flipped. He switched over to Apaches. I flew with him. Yeah, he's a good dude. He's a good dude. I mean, uh, the, the big the big secret behind writing a book is people don't want to. People who haven't ever tried it, it's fucking hard too. It's hard it's work. Difficult. It's a it's lot of work. Difficult. Yeah. I I mean, I figured it was going to be difficult, but mm-hmm. it, yeah, just throw in a couple of extra levels there. I mean, it's it's there's so much that goes into it, uh, and there's a lot of disinformation out there. Yeah. I mean, you're you're absolutely you're, you're throwing yourself into a really big unknown. Uh, even though so many people write books and so many books are published daily, 
there's just there's so many pitfalls to just make you do it wrong. <laughs> so that's that's really and and furthermore, you know, the interest was only there for a split second again in Afghanistan. It's gone. So yeah. you know, are you going to try and go for a big publisher? Because right now, if you're not writing about the issues of the day, you know, you're you're not really going to be in that airport gift shop. You're not going to be you know. Sure. So it's just that that it's a big it's a big battle on that front. Mm-hmm. And if you could, uh, you know, to the prospective readers of your book or those who have read it or those who will read it, what's what's the main message you want to make sure you get across throughout, you know, the publication of your book? What's what would be the if you could summarize it in one sentence? I would say I I want the story told. That was my promise. I want the accurate account to be there, whether people agree with my perspective or whether people agree with the war itself or not, this is as accurate an account as I could make what I saw and what we did. Nice. Yeah. Appreciate the ethos behind that. Cause uh, <laughs> that's something that we're trying to do here as well. So yeah, man, that's cool. Well, I mean, I'm going to have to get around to reading it eventually, but my, yeah. my reading wormholes end up pulling me so many different directions. And it's like, yeah, I've got this this book on my shelf. And then it's like a year later and I still haven't read it. So Yeah, uh, it's all good. I mean, like I told my wife, you know, I'm like, everybody's busy. You know, like I yeah. get it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not messed up if someone was like, man, I'll read it when I can. Like, I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, and then I, for the people, you know, some of the people who read it, you know, like advanced and, and I sent them like a free copy. I'm like, Hey, can you write a review? They're like, Oh, I'm so busy. And I just joked with my wife the other day. I was like, everybody's got toilet time. Like, they could write a review. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, man, I'll, uh, I'll read it and I'll write it a review for it. For Appreciate the official it. review of the pod from the pod, Pantway podcast. Yeah. Said. Perfect. Yeah. Curtis wrote a baller review. I love Curtis's review. <laughs> Yeah, first, he, he first you were the too. first one on Amazon, and I was like, "Dude, wow, thank you." Yeah, <laughs> that, that'll that'll be point zero five percent of all future sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Ryan, yeah. the way we always close uh, these episodes out is we kind of give you, and we we kind of already had. So if you don't have anything to add, that's cool too. But we kind of give you a chance to say your piece, anything you want to put out there, any final words, um, any shout outs, any kind of thing like that. Yeah, you know, just everybody I mentioned that's in my acknowledgments that that did help, um, you know, just you ground guys out there, you know, doing doing what you were doing, even even with your with where your thoughts may have been on the subject, you were still out there doing it. And I was just it was absolutely an honor to support you from the air. I mean, that's what that was just what it was all about. Cool. Cool. Well, we really appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, it's been a good chat for sure. Thanks a lot. It's been fun. Awesome. And I will leave this live up for about 10 minutes with uh, with this up here so that anybody that pops out can see it and hop on. But to everyone who's listening right now, myself, Luke, and Ryan are signing off. Thank you for listening to the Banjoy Podcast. <laughs>